What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm so glad you're tuning in today. We are talking all about tongue ties in today's episode. And if you're tuning in, I'm guessing it might be for a couple of reasons. Maybe you've heard of this word tongue tie and you're curious to learn more, thinking maybe potentially this might be something your child is experiencing. Maybe it has already been suggested to you that your child has a tongue tie and you want to learn more. Maybe you're already in the trenches of getting support and you're looking for some validation or some more support along your journey, or maybe this is part of your story and you're already past the space of getting support, but you're trying to process everything that you just went through with your child's tongue tie. Whatever the case might be, I'm so glad you're tuning in today. I invited Britta DeStefano onto the podcast. She is a Denver-based pediatric physical therapist, mom of two, and the founder of Progress Through Play. Tongue tie is part of her own journey into motherhood, so she speaks to us both from a personal and specialist perspective. And in this episode, we explore things like the stress of the feeding journey and not going how it planned if tongue tie was part of your experience. Potentially the experience of going to get support and then feeling invalidated by providers or providers dismissing your concerns or providers who aren't really knowledgeable about tongue ties. We talk about the questions that you can ask to make sure you're getting the support that you deserve and navigating the various opinions about tongue ties from various providers and how some people might think it's just a fad. We talk about some of the different issues related to tongue ties that can cause added stress, feelings of guilt for not knowing or intervening earlier if the tongue tie was missed, and the overwhelm of just all the things that come with a tongue tie. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. You're going to leave this episode feeling like you are validated in your experience, but also knowing what steps to take next, regardless of what part of the journey you are on when it comes to tongue tie. All right, are you ready? Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. 
My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, Britta. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I am really excited to dive into this topic. You and I were just talking before I hit record that I don't know if I would have ever thought to do a podcast episode really specific to, to this topic until until you reached out. And as soon as you did and you started to talk about some of the things that you that, that you specialize in, I was like, wow, this this absolutely could be a really important podcast episode because I know so many folks, so many of my clients who have experienced this and had so much stress around it. It impacted their mental health, their relationships. It was traumatic for many. Um, So I'm so excited that we are diving into the topic of tongue ties today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really glad you were so open to this because it is something that I run into all the time. But as a physical therapist, obviously my expertise is not on the mental health side of it, but I also have my own personal experience with it. So Mm -hmm. I have experienced the side of it um, from me personally and how it affected my journey into motherhood. So I'm really excited to delve into this. Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so excited as well. So before we do, can you share with the listener in case they don't already know you a little bit about yourself, why this is something that you're passionate about, about the work that you do, and yeah, just introducing yourself to to the listener. Sure. So I am Dr. Britta DeStefano. I am a board certified pediatric physical therapist. I am also a mom of two. My kids are eight and six now, big kids, but my passion is really for helping families and specifically babies with their development. So I specialize in the ages birth to walking and everything that goes into the motor development and movement of our infants. And As I have become more specialized in this infant population, I really started to hear a lot of stories from my families that I was working with that uh, struck a chord with me because it sounded very similar to a lot of struggles that I went through with my own son, who's now eight. But when he was an infant, he struggled with tongue tie. I started putting a lot of these puzzle pieces together and realizing that all of it was interconnected with what I was already working with these babies on and that I needed to make sure that I 
further specialized in addressing the entire body. And that didn't stop at the neck that I needed to make sure that I was helping these families look really holistically at their child's functioning. And so that is how I ended up where I am today. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. And I, I, it's so, I, I really appreciate your willingness to share like what you didn't know, right? Or like what you missed and then becoming a mom yourself. And I mean, I, I can very much relate. I mean, I was a therapist before, I was a therapist working with moms before I became a mom and uh, becoming a mom really shifted how I understood preparing for motherhood, the experience of you know, raising a child and the stressors that come with that, the impact it has on your relationship. It's one of those things where I had to really live through it to, to understand more, more deeply the kind of support that moms needed and parents during those, those early years. So I really appreciate your, your like that, that ownership, right? That like, it, yeah. I had to go through it to really understand that like, oh, I, I'm, I'm stopping, you know, at this point. And there's actually this other piece that is so critical. And so I'd love to hear first and foremost, what is a tongue tie? Like let's, let's kind of unpack that first. Yeah. So it's kind of a buzzword these days, right? We hear about it quite a bit and really we all have frenula, which are the little pieces of tissue that connect our tongue to the floor of our mouth. We also have a frenula in our upper lip and in our cheeks. And so it's normal for those tissues to be there. What's abnormal is when those tissues are so restrictive and so tight that they restrict range of motion and therefore restrict optimal function. So we care more about how the mouth and the tongue are functioning than what exactly the piece of tissue looks like. So when we say someone is tongue-tied, it means that that frenulum is affecting the function of their oral tissues, their tongue, um, and their mouth. Okay. And so could somebody just like open their mouth or open their child's mouth right now and diagnose that themselves? Or is this something that really does require a specialist to look at, to really help you understand, like you're saying, the impact that that very normal tissue has on the functioning? Absolutely. It is something that you need to see someone who is specialized in um, screening for and diagnosing because of that function piece. I can open my mouth right now and show you my personal tongue tie and you could say, oh yeah, I can kind of see that that you know, piece of tissue there does look kind of tight, but a picture does not mean anything when it comes to function. And so I, in my current state, function fairly well, even though my tongue is pretty significantly tied. But we have to look at this snapshot of a moment in time, what does this infant or adult or child, whatever age you are, need in terms of the function of their mouth? Like, uh, you know, obviously an infant who is breastfeeding needs, you know, a little bit of a different function than a child who's maybe starting solids or an adult. And so we have to look at what is important to the function of their mouth currently and how that piece of tissue is impacting that. So you need someone who is specialized in addressing the function as well as the anatomy. Okay. And so for the listener, let's 
I'm sure some listeners are like, they're all, they've already been through it, right? Like they've been through this and they're like, I need to talk about how it's been, it's impacted my mental health and um, how stressful it's been. But maybe someone's listening because they're like, I don't know if my child does, but I've heard this, this buzzword around and I'm curious. And so let's maybe explore a little bit what might be some signals to a parent who has an infant um, or a baby um, that there might be a reason to look at a tongue tie. And, and, and again, if, if looking at tongue tie beyond that is something that is also um, part of your work, then I'd love to understand more about how do we look, how do we know if our child should be looked at basically, regardless of their age? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's lots of clues. I always talk to my families about filing away clues because not every one of these signs or symptoms is going to automatically mean there's a tongue tie. And there are other things that can cause oral dysfunction that are not a tongue tie. Sometimes there's low muscle tone or just weakness that is not related to a restricted frenulum in their mouth. So we're we're gathering data basically is what i say when i talk to families about things that could be signs and those may be you know trouble latching trouble nursing hearing a lot of noises when your baby's feeding that clicking that loss of suction or gurgling really messy feeds, meaning they're having a hard time keeping the milk in their mouth. This is with a bottle Mm. or a breast, Um, you know, because they're not getting that great suction with the tongue. So you see all that milk (laughs) dribbling out the sides. Um, Pain on the mother's part if she's breastfeeding, Mm. um, you know, uh, needing to use a nipple shield or, um, you know, having difficulty getting your baby to take a bottle babies who can't suck well on a pacifier. All these things, right, are just clues that you might want to dive deeper into looking at how their mouth is functioning. I also look into how the rest of their body is functioning. Is your baby moving their body well? Are they kind of stuck in one position? Are they favoring looking to one side? You know, are they feeling really stiff and uncomfortable? Are they very refluxy and gassy and just, you know, those colicky babies that just can't seem to settle or get relaxed? All of those things, right? It's this really big picture thing that we need to kind of take all of these things into account and then help guide a family to the correct provider to help kind of put all those pieces together and let them know for their specific child, do all of these clues fit the picture of what they see when they look in their mouth? So I know that one of the things that we were going to talk about was the different stressors that come with this experience. And and I want to get there, but maybe naming one right now, which would be the provider piece. So I think there's different layers potentially that I've that's been reported to me from clients um, who have who did have a, a baby or a child with a tongue tie was where do I go to get this assessed? Like, is this a lactation consultant thing? Is this my pediatrician thing? Can I go straight to a physical therapist thing? Um, and then there's sometimes, unfortunately, the experience of having of going to a provider and finding themselves feeling invalidated by their provider provider maybe dismissing their concerns or provider who isn't really knowledgeable about 
tongue ties, navigating all the different opinions that can be out there. So can you speak a little bit to this stressor of just like taking that step to find out and and get support? Yeah, absolutely. Because I have been through it. I knew from the moment my son was born that he was tongue-tied because he had a very uh, heart-shaped tongue, which is a big indicator that there's some tight tissue underneath that's causing it to be kind of that inverted shape at the tip. And so I asked for it to be addressed right then and there. They had an ENT come and snip the front of it with some scissors and they sent me on my way. And we continued to struggle for a really long time. And to this day, because it wasn't addressed by someone who was truly, truly knowledgeable. Mm. And so it was not fully released. It's still very restricted. At eight years old, we have a long journey to get him to some optimal functioning. And there was no resources given to me about improving the function with oral exercises or let's see a lactation consultant Mm. so we can help work on your breastfeeding journey. It was a snip and, you know, usher you out the door type of deal. And so in going through that, you know, it has made me become even more passionate about helping families to find the right resources for them. And for every family, those resources might look different, right? And so that's why I literally go on networking coffee dates like every single week to make sure that I'm finding the right people to help guide these families to that I'm working with. And so if you're in the Denver area, <laughs> let me know if you need some some resources. But even outside of that, families need to be able to understand that they need to feel validated by the providers that they're seeing. The providers need to be able to answer all of the family's questions and help them understand why they're recommending what they're recommending. Mm -hmm. And the family should feel like that resonates with them before ever going forward with any type of procedure or therapy or anything like that. And so I counsel families all the time that if you don't feel comfortable with the recommendations or it just doesn't vibe with what you're seeing in your child or what you know your family values, go get a second opinion, right? Yeah. You are the consumer. It is your child. You can go find that different provider that does you know, validate what you're seeing in your child and what you're looking for. So that's number one. Um, number two is where do you go to find these right people, right? That's uh, the struggle. You're probably in this like newborn haze of a million different appointments. And honestly, most pediatricians are not trained in tongue tie. Mm. Everyone in the world of treating tongue tie has come into that through continuing education. And it is not something that we were taught in our graduate programs, our medical school, our physical therapy school, dental school, whatever it is, whoever that provider is, if they are claiming to be a specialist in that area, then they needed to have sought out that training outside of their degree program. So you want to make sure that whoever you are going to see has sought out that extra training. And that 
person might be different based on what area you live in. You know, it might be a dentist. It might be an ENT. Okay. You just want to make sure it's someone who has taken the time to really dive deep into this topic and educate themselves so they can best support the families who are coming to see them. And those providers also, if they're good ones, will have an amazing network of other um, healthcare providers that also support their patients. So that looks like, yes, lactation consultants and IBCLC physical therapists, occupational therapists, you know, all of these team members who come together to help support these families. Okay. This is, this is so helpful. And so to your point of like asking questions, right. And then knowing if like it doesn't align or it does and whether or not to get a second opinion, what are some of the questions that we could be asking to kind of figure that out? I'm just putting myself in that that new parents choose. And I'm just thinking like all the other things that they're holding in their mind, you know, like the feeding schedule, the like sleep deprivation, like I want to make this as easy as possible for them. Like thinking like what, what are some of those questions that they should go in and start to ask if they do notice some of the, some of the data that you're sharing here? Yeah. I mean, I first want to make sure that the provider I'm going to see has a very specific, okay. you know, protocol in terms of their treatment, their follow-up care. Um, you know, they're going to be recommended stretches and wound care after the procedure. And I want to make sure that the provider families are going to see, um, do a great job of explaining that. And then I would also want to know, do you collaborate with other providers if we do need extra functional work for oral exercises? If I do need help with breast or bottle feeding, who do you recommend that I be working with? Can we okay. start now before we ever do a procedure? Do you recommend that we do therapies before and after? This is a sign that that provider looks holistically at the entire child and potentially breastfeeding dyad if you are breastfeeding and not just at that piece of tissue, right? Wow. We want to make sure that they are on board with making sure that we are looking at that entire puzzle and not just the one piece of it. Okay. that Okay. That's awesome. I can already kind of think in my mind like what those questions would look like. Okay. So now they have a provider. Um, but I guess before I move on to the next one, I do want to kind of, I guess, address the invalidation piece of, I don't know, can you kind of describe a little bit more of what does that look like? Um, I guess maybe some people thinking like this is just a fad, you know, um, and how how you how you would reframe that, how you would respond to that. And I guess what you would say to the parent listening who has maybe felt invalidated, right? Um, when they brought these things up to say, hopefully not, but maybe their pediatrician, right? Mm -hmm. um, and just feeling like, oh, because I see this, people are talking about this on Instagram now, and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, this is just a fad. It's not like it's not really a thing, or just like that. Ugh, that that would be that could be a, a, definitely a part of if this whole experience was traumatic for somebody, right? The invalidation, the you know, powerlessness, the, um, you know, feeling helpless, the procedure itself, the stress that someone experienced through feeding, 
um, all of it combined can be very intense for someone. And the invalidation piece, I think, can be really, really important to identify. I don't know. How would you respond to this idea? Like, this is just a fad. Yeah, it's it's really hard when something that can affect us so deeply, right, in your baby and yourself becomes such a polarizing topic, right? And that's kind of what tongue tie has become because there, you know, are these groups of people that do claim that it's just a fad, that it can't affect, you know, the whole the whole functioning of the baby and 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 the caregivers as well. And it's really unfortunate that families suffer due to that kind of dynamic in some providers. And I obviously don't believe it's a fad. I have now been diagnosed with a tongue tie and I can see 37 years ago how it affected my functioning as a child. And I can talk through with my parents about the things that I struggled with. I struggled with, you know, chewing my food and eating in a timely manner. You know, mealtimes took a really long time. I had probably five different orthodontic devices because of how my palate was not formed well due to my my restricted tongue mobility. There's all these things. So 37 years ago, this was all going on, yeah. but we didn't have the access to the information. And yeah. so just because we have information overload now and almost too much access to information <laughs> wow. sometimes, yes. that doesn't mean that it hasn't always been around, right? Mm-hmm. It's just we're yep. hearing about it more Families have better access to resources. So many more kids are getting treatment than were 37 years ago or even eight years ago when my son was born, right? So that's one side of the coin. And I think it's such an important one because I even think about like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and the unfortunate message that sometimes parents get now of like, oh, we didn't have that back then. <laughs> like, And it's like, no, no, it's always been a thing. Like it, you did, it did exist back then. We just didn't have the resources for understanding or, or the understanding or the name for these experiences, right? Exactly. And then the next part of that question is if you find yourself seeing a provider who maybe does invalidate some of your concerns my next question will would be, well, what continuing education have you done in this realm that allows you to make that, you know, recommendation that we don't look into it? Or if you don't know a lot about tongue tie, who could I go see that does? Yeah. And hope that they have resources. And if they can't point you in the right direction, that might not be the right provider for you. I am so big on being able to say, I don't know, but here's somebody who does, right? And I (laughs) would much rather a provider tell me I don't know than to invalidate my concerns and just tell me everything is fine. Yeah. 
I know that it comes from a place of wanting to help decrease worries and anxieties when providers kind of either brush off concerns or say, oh, that's normal or, you know, all babies do that or let's wait and see. But as a parent, having been on that side, I honestly just wanted someone to say, I hear what you're saying. And that sounds really hard. (laughs) I cried in the pediatrician's office more times than I can count. And I just needed someone to say, how can we help? Who can we find that can help support you through this? Hmm. And I just want other families and parents to know that they can go outside of maybe who their initial provider was if they're not finding that level of support. (laughs) That's an important message right there. Yeah. Thank you for naming that. I mean, it makes me tear up now thinking about my, you know, 30-year-old self, uh, you know, and just wishing that I had all the resources that I'm able to offer my patients now. Um, And I have to continue to not beat myself up on all the things I didn't know back then. And it's so hard. It's so hard to not be like, well, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. You know, he wouldn't be struggling so much now if I had done X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's... So let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> the guilt, the guilt yeah. that can come with this. Okay. Um, and I want, and, and I really do want to get there. But I, I want to make sure that we name first what... I really want to just draw a picture of what these experiences can look like for folks. So the invalidation, the struggle of like finding a provider to help can definitely be a part of it. But there are so many issues that can be related to tongue tie that can cause added stress, can can cause added stress for the feeding journey. And then there can be guilt around the feeding journey not going how you planned, Um, the guilt around not knowing or intervening earlier if the tongue tie was missed. I just, I can imagine all sorts of folks tuning in at different stages of this. So what are some of the stressors, the added stress that can come with having a child who has a tongue tie? Yeah, there's a lot. I have been through many of them myself, but even seeing more through the families that I work with, I mean, your number one job when you bring an infant home from the hospital is to feed them and keep them alive and thriving, right? And no one talks about the fact that that can end up being the most stressful, the hardest thing you have literally ever done. I was not prepared. Becoming a food source, like, because, I mean, initially, if you're the birthing person, like, you're going to, like, at some level, probably lactate, right? Like, even if it ends up from the very beginning being um, in terms of like output, like being a challenge, right? Like you're going to lactate. So there's going to just be like, okay, my bo- my body is literally telling me that like this was the next thing to do, right? Yeah. Was to feed my child from my body. And there's obviously so many reasons why that pressure can be difficult and the challenges that can just come with navigating feeding your child through your own body um, and tongue tie being one of those. And yeah, that, that like the, the outside pressure we get, the internal pressure we have, the like physiology pressure that we have, it's just, it's 
so heavy and it's so stressful and we do not have enough support (laughs) around it, right? Like you leave the hospital, maybe got a lot of support there, then you leave and it's like, see you in six weeks and access to lactation support. Like a lot of times there can be barriers there and you're sleep deprived and like your partner's doesn't your partner's nipples don't do the same thing. <laughs> so it's like those useless nipples over there. And like it's just ugh. And then a partner, the non-birthing partner, can feel really helpless. It's just, it's so much. It's so much. Exactly. And so number one, it's a struggle to figure out in general, even if you're bottle feeding your baby. Bottle feeding isn't something that most people have done a lot in their lives prior to having a baby either, unless you were like in childcare. So regardless, that's something that you are figuring out a new skill set per se. And then your baby, who is supposed to just naturally know how to do this, has some sort of oral dysfunction. And you put those two things together and like, oh my gosh, it's talk about, I just think like ultimate stressor. And so there are some of these babies that are nursing nonstop because their suck is not very strong. They have to nurse much longer just to get the volumes that they need. There are some of these babies that are so stressed and dysregulated from how difficult it is for them to just get nourishment that I have families who are having to feed their babies only when they're asleep because when they're awake, they are just Wow. So fussy and so upset. These babies often also struggle with sleep. So on top of it, that the second thing your baby's supposed to do on top of feeding is sleeping. And then sleep becomes a huge stressor. Sleep deprivation is literally like a torture technique. So we've got your two things that your baby's supposed to be doing and, and both of them now become a struggle. And it can truly spiral um, in those newborn postpartum months. So yeah, it's big. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's so much. And the impact, you know, I know um, on my side of things, I see the impact that this has in terms of um, a parent's mental health and their emotional wellness and their relationships. So it can definitely contribute or trigger anxiety it can trigger it can be a risk factor for depression postpartum depression absolutely um, when you, especially when you look at the impact that it has on sleep um, and the like helplessness hopelessness that people can feel around it um, and the shame of like there it must be just something deeply wrong with me that this isn't coming naturally or that this is so hard or that I have thoughts or feelings of like, you know, what's wrong with my child or being upset and dysregulated by my child's like reactions and and their dysregulation. The impact it can have on our relationships as, you know, we're sleep deprived and also maybe, you know, having differing views of like, what steps to take next. And so I'm so glad we're having this conversation because my hope is that the listener takes this and feels validated and also maybe empowered to take a step to get support, whether that's support for their child and a potential tongue tie and also getting the support that they deserve there and or 
getting like actually reaching out to a therapist and like being like, yeah, ha- having a child with tongue tie is absolutely a reason to go get therapy for yourself because 100%. of the impact that that can have on an individual for a parent. 100%. Like validated, validated, validated. Like if I got that email that was like, hey, Dr. Cassidy, I, you know, listened to that episode and I, or like my child had a tongue tie. I'm like, enough said. <laughs> like, you, Pencil you in right now. <laughs> right. Like, um, oh my gosh. Okay. So one of the emo- emotional experiences that can come from this is guilt. So now I want to talk to the listener who is listening to all of this and really on the side of feeling guilt or shame. Guilt being I've done something wrong, shame being the experience of like there's just deeply something wrong with me um, for not knowing or intervening earlier um, if the tongue tie was missed. What would you say to them? I would say the, the number one thing is we don't know what we don't know. And you have to work with the information that you have in front of you in this moment. And secondly, it's never too late to address mm. a tongue tie. There is no end date, expiration date. You can always gather these resources at any point in your child or adult life. Many of you might be listening and saying, hmm, I should maybe look into that for my own self as an adult. And so giving yourself that grace, but I would love to hear your tips as well, because this is me, right? As I was just (laughs) saying, there's so much that I know now Mm. that I didn't know eight years ago that I really wish I did. So I I honestly, constantly am working through those own feelings uh, in myself. Thank you for your honesty about that, just so that the listener feels less alone in that, right? And So guilt is a human emotion that we're all wired for. And just like sadness, joy, fear, and fear is, you know, a little buddy anxiety. And um, it's an emotion we're all wired for. And so our job really isn't to get rid of it, but to understand it when it shows up and is offering us data and to stay in the driver's seat when it pops up, right? Um, And to have some boundaries around it and to be able to relate to it in a way that sometimes helps us really understand why the messages of guilt aren't aren't actually serving us in the way that guilt is intended in terms of why we're wired for it. Okay, so guilt is there to let us know when we've done something that is out of alignment with our values and with what matters most to us. Now, Guilt doesn't always necessarily take into consideration the whole picture, though, in the context, right? So guilt might, for instance, whisper to me, um, mm, like, you're not being present with your children. Like, you're, you're at work and you're not with your kids and that makes you a bad mom. There's something wrong with you that you, like, look forward to going to work um, and, like, getting away from your kids. Like, what kind of mom has those sort of thoughts? And then that starts to sound a little bit more like shame. So shame is a counterpart to guilt that, as I said earlier, whereas guilt's like, oh, you've done something wrong. Shame is like, no, there's just maybe something deeply wrong with you. And that's a slippery slope into shame because shame starts to sound like – I start to sound more like shame when I'm saying things like, what kind of mom would miss this? Or what kind of mom 
looks forward to leaving her kids, right? If we're going to use a different example. Now, when that pops up, it's so easy and happens to so many of us that that just jumps in the driver's seat. And then that just can lead us into the spiral of shame, right? And when we, when we, when we get into a space of shame, that can lead us to actually isolating ourselves. So for instance, if I feel ashamed that I didn't take, I didn't intervene earlier for my child's tongue tie because I didn't know, right? Or like I had heard it, I heard about it and I didn't do anything. So a personal example in that case for the listener, I, when my oldest was in preschool, her teacher made some comments that indicated she might have an expressive or receptive processing disorder, like language wise. And I was like, I don't see it. Like, that's not my kid. Um, I gave all the examples of how that wasn't my kid. And I just like rejected that idea. And then a couple years later, her kindergarten teacher came to a conference with notes of examples of expressive receptive challenges. And the shame that I felt that I didn't intervene earlier because actually I had heard that maybe this could be a thing. But, but I had, and and I had to meet shame and say, hey, shame, (laughs) I, I understand that, you know, when I look, when I really look beyond these feelings, I understand that there's actually something, there's things that are really important to me that I want for my child that, you know, I, I want to prioritize. But I can look back at myself at that stage and honor either there was so much that I didn't know that I didn't have access to resource-wise um, and or there were other things kind of getting in the way of me getting that support. And I think it actually was a version of shame. I think shame made me feel afraid that like if she – if I, if I took the step to get her support, she'd have this label and that people would judge, would, would always treat her based off of this label. And that just, there was a whole bunch of stuff there and stuff connected to my own story. And so if we meet guilt and we say, okay, thank you, guilt, for letting me know that, you know, supporting my child in, you know, health and in um, all these things is, is so important to me. Thank you for letting me know that it's important to me. But what I'm going to do before that jumps in the driver's seat is I'm going to take a look at the bigger picture. That yes, there are these things that I value, but also I have to look at the context of where I was in that season, like what I was, you know, what I knew, what I didn't know. Um, what was being, what was triggered during that time, right? What was difficult and, or these other things that are also very deeply important to me, these other things that I really deeply value. And I can now turn to my values to help me decide what I'm going to do next. So rather than guilt jumping in the driver's seat and just leading me into that spiral of shame, because what shame can actually lead to is us isolating and maybe not even getting help. Maybe feeling like there's just something so deeply wrong with me that I feel so consumed by that shame, so overwhelmed, and or not wanting anyone to know that I like missed this and scared of what people will say, right? Or what what this will mean, that I actually don't even take a step to get that support. So before we get there, 
we want to meet guilt with um, acceptance that it's showing up with data about what's important to us. And then turning back to our values, sometimes guilt tells us what our values are, to help us decide what we're going to do next, rooted in our values, not driven by guilt. Now, if you're like listening, you're like, wait, I think I'm already in shame though. Like there's just something deeply wrong with me that I, you know, didn't intervene earlier, didn't know about this or, or did, but didn't take any steps. The antidote to shame that we found in the research is connection. So you listening to this episode is an antidote to shame. You talking to your partner or provider or someone else who's been through it too, or or even just someone that you know that can hold space for you in all your vulnerable parts and you can be really real with, that's an antidote to shame. Shame has a really hard time festering and growing if it's in connection with someone else. And so I'm so glad you're tuning in, the listener, and I hope that you're feeling more validated in your experience and maybe equipped of knowing what steps to take next and that it's never too late. It's never too late. You're not alone and it's never too late and you deserve the support. You don't have to white knuckle through this alone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So guilt, we're all wired for it. It's there to let us know what our values are. Sometimes though, it doesn't take into consideration the whole picture or the context. Yeah. So it's going to give us data about like, oh, remember, remember Britta that this, this, and this are things that are important to you that you value. Yeah. And you could be like, yeah, they are. And I can use some of those values to help get back in alignment with the things that matter most to me rather than guilt being the driver of that, right? It's a lot more meaningful if it's driven by values. And or I can pause and remind myself of the bigger picture the context or these other values that I'm choosing to prioritize, right? Um, So I have a podcast episode called Defining Your Values, both on my podcast and on the Happy as a Mother podcast. And I think both of those can be really great places to start in looking at how we develop a new relationship with our emotions. But yeah, guilt, it's coming along for the ride. It's not not going anywhere, but I think that there's a way that we can relate to it in a new and healthier way. And I like two things that you said about context and priorities, because I also work with families on, you know, a couple other things related to infant development, including like uh, head flattening and torticollis, which is tightness in their bodies. And I am often hearing from these families when they come to see me, say three, four, five, six months old, oh, you know, I'm so upset that we didn't see you earlier, that we didn't know about this or that somebody didn't tell us, you know, in that first zero to three month stage. And I always ask them to pause and think about all the stuff going on in that fourth trimester, basically, and think about what all these other priorities were in that moment. And that's probably, you know, this would have fallen down that priority list, honestly. And it, it, in every snapshot in time in our lives, our priorities are going to look different for our child, for ourselves, for our families, whatever. And being able to sit back 
and think about that context, right? Of where was I at that point in my life? I was in a completely different space than I am now. And it changes very, very rapidly with infants um, and, and, and parenting in general. And so being able to, like you said, sit back and look at that big picture and just say, no, you know what? In that moment in time, X, Y, and Z were priorities. Mm -hmm. And I was really focusing so much of my energy on that. And that's what I needed to be doing in that moment. And because, you know, I was filled with those things, this might've been on the back burner at that point in time. Now I'm ready to prioritize it. And here's how we're going to do that. And it is aligning with my values in this moment. So I do find that so much, um, in, in those interactions with the families that I work with. So I'm really glad that you pointed out those two things. Yeah. I think it's so key. It's so key. And yeah. And I think, um, I I just want to, I'm always wanting to put myself in the shoes of the listener and I'm thinking to myself, someone listening, they're like, yeah, but maybe if, you know, this, this impacted our breastfeeding journey. And like, maybe if I had gotten the help sooner, I would have you know, been able to meet some of those like goals that I had for breastfeeding, or it would have been a more connecting experience. And and I just want to say to that parent that like what your child needed, whatever, whatever that journey looked like, and whatever the decisions that ended up looking like for you around that time were, that what your child needs, needed then and needs now more than your milk is for you to be well. Yeah. Like and your present for your for you to be well to take care of yourself for you know um, like I just there was something I, I read or I saw once or heard and it was imagining like myself back as a baby um, and you know my mom struggled with breastfeeding and like once I became a mom and I was navigating breastfeeding my mom shared with me her own sort of feelings of like guilt or shame that she stopped breastfeeding because she. So I, I got mastitis and, it, you know, was able to like heal that um, and then c- continued to breastfeed. And she got mastitis um, multiple times and stopped breastfeeding. And she, I remember her, like when I got it, she was like, her experience was like, oh, that means it's over. And yeah. then I, and then, and then I got help and we like were able to move through the mastitis and continue our breastfeeding journey. And she had guilt and shame around that of like, I didn't do that. And like, maybe... Like I didn't give you, like I gave up, I gave up on you almost was sort of like what she was thinking. And I remember thinking to myself and like wanting to reframe this for her of like, if I, if I could go back and like, as a little baby, like look you in the eyes and like somehow communicate to you, like what I needed from you, it wasn't, it's not your milk. It's like for you to do whatever you need to, to be well to sleep, to, to have other people come in and be able to help, um, to not have the fear and anxiety of like another plug duct. Like I needed you to be well, to take care of yourself so that you could take care of me. Like that's what I needed. Um, I didn't need her milk. And And that's what I tell families who are, you know, in that struggle in terms of their breastfeeding journey is that literally take it every day at a time. And if continuing your breastfeeding journey is your number one priority today, awesome. We're going to work to get you there. If it changes tomorrow, let me know. Yeah. We're going to change 
direction. And it does not matter. It can change in the span of 12 hours. You can decide to push through for, you know, a couple more months, whatever that looks like for you, you are always allowed to be constantly reprioritizing. And like you said, it's going to look different for everybody and every baby, but they, in the end of the day, need you and whatever is going to help you be present and, and be there for them. Yeah. And be there for yourself. Yeah. Okay. I am so grateful to you for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. Um, it's so much more than just this buzzword tongue tie. Like there's so many layers to it. I'm so glad we got to touch on all these. Uh, where can folks find you to learn more from you and connect with you? Absolutely. So I have a practice located in Denver that's called Progress Through Play. Most people find me through my Instagram account. So it's at Progress Through Play and all my information is linked there. I love responding to DMs and connecting with people in that space. If you're not on Instagram, I do have a website that I'm sure we can link in these show notes as well. And I look forward to connecting with you guys. And, you know, I, I have been through it. So I'm also happy to just be an ear to listen to stories if parents are looking for that connection to try to get out of that shame and guilt spiral. I can yes. be that person for you if you need it. I am more than happy to, to be a listening ear. Thank you so much, Britta. I will share links in the show notes so folks can directly connect with you. And so grateful for you taking the time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.